Thanks, guys. Um, <clears throat> hey, today uh, we're going to talk about the wilderness. Um, the Bible is full of stories of people uh, who spend a lot of time in the wilderness, whether that's the literal, physical wilderness or a more metaphorical or figurative or spiritual wilderness. Uh, but the largest collection of wilderness stories that we have actually come from David's life, from David's story. And here's what happened. Uh, after David killed Goliath, we talked about that a little bit last week, he became the most popular person in Israel. Everybody falls in love with David. Everyone except for King Saul. Because <laughs> Saul is threatened by David. Saul is afraid of David. Uh, Saul is resentful of David's popularity. And Saul just knows that David is trying to steal the kingdom away from him. And it's almost like the more that Saul tries to undermine and sabotage David, the more successful and popular David gets. In fact, Saul's son, Jonathan, we saw, who was next in line to be king, actually becomes friends with David, and he pledges his loyalty and his protection to David. And then actually, one of Saul's daughters, Michal, falls in love with David and gets married to David. And it's like things get worse and worse for Saul, and he's just, he just knows that David is out to undermine and sabotage him, and so he does everything he can to go after David. And in fact, he eventually comes to the conclusion, the only way to eliminate this threat is to kill David. Now, you think your family is dysfunctional? Has your father-in-law ever tried to actually kill you, right? But that's what's going on here. And it gets so bad that finally Saul hatches this plan and he gets all his men and he sends them to David's house to basically kill David and his wife, Michal, and his best friend, Jonathan, help him escape. Where David runs into the wilderness. The literal wilderness of Judah, running and hiding for his life from Saul. Not for days, not for weeks, not for months, but literally for years. He's in the wilderness. Let that sink in a moment. David is told at a young age that he's going to be the next king of Israel. David has done nothing wrong. David goes out and fights for Saul. He fights for Israel. He marries Saul's daughter. He becomes best friends with Saul's son. He even pledges his own loyalty to Saul's son. And now Saul is using his entire army to go all around Israel to slander David's name, to slander David's reputation, and to hunt David down and try to kill him. And David spends the better part of his 20s the prime of his life, right? When he should be raising a family, when he should be leading the nation, he spends almost a decade of his life hiding in the wilderness, running away from Saul. And where is God in all this? Well, apparently God doesn't really care what's happening in David's life. In fact, look at some of the prayers that David prays. He says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. Here's another prayer. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? See, this is David in the wilderness. God's abandoned him. God doesn't hear his prayers. God doesn't seem to care anymore. And this goes on for years. Now let me pause and ask, have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like you're going through a season and God doesn't really care what's happening? Of course you have, right? We've all been through those seasons in our lives. Maybe you're going through a season like that right now. Maybe there's a situation at your job. Maybe it's a situation at school. Maybe it's a relationship that's not going well. Maybe it's a marriage that's not going well. Maybe it's the lack of a relationship or a marriage. Maybe things with one of your kids isn't going so well. Or maybe you've lost something recently. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe you've lost a part of yourself and you just feel lost. You feel depressed. You feel discouraged. You feel confused. You feel angry at times. And mostly you just feel lonely. Right? Because you're in the wilderness. And you're praying to God and He's not really answering. And so maybe you've even given up on praying. Maybe if God doesn't care, you don't care anymore either. That's the wilderness. And the truth is, we spend more time there than we think. We spend more time in the wilderness than we're even willing to admit. It's easy to come to church on Sunday and look around and think, well, everyone else's life is great. No one else goes through the kinds of things I go through. No one else has deep questions about if God even exists or God hears our prayers. Or I'm not even really sure I want to talk to God right now. And I don't know that anyone else feels that. But the truth is, we all go through those seasons. And sometimes they're really big and hard and difficult seasons. And sometimes they're just those really subtle, dry periods of our lives. We all spend time in the wilderness. And David spent years there. Now there's a lot of stories about him walking through these wilderness years, and we don't have time to read them all, but we're going to spend the next two weeks looking at this season of his life. And today I'm going to read you what's probably the most famous, but probably also the most important and defining wilderness story for David. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert or the wilderness of Engedi. And so Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. This is a picture of modern-day Engedi. Um, there's actually a nature preserve there. Uh, it's a place near the Dead Sea where there's all kinds of cliffs and canyons and crags and caves. It's a difficult and inhospitable place. And sure enough, David is hiding there. Uh, Saul's been chasing him all around Judah. And at times, Saul pauses and he has to go fight the Philistines. But when he's done, he rallies his men again. And he receives word, apparently, somebody has spotted David and his small band of men there in the area of Engedi. And so Saul and 3,000 soldiers show up in the area. The story continues. 
He, that is Saul, came to the sheep pens along the way. Apparently there had been a shepherd there who had set up some pens and was leading his sheep through. And a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. So uh, David uh, has been on the run, right? And uh, the desert's hot, especially in Judah. It's, it's a tough place to be. And so some of the best places to sort of hide or even to simply rest would have been caves, right? The cave is cool. And in fact, in many of the caves in this area, there's little streams running through the caves and down into the Dead Sea. And so David and his men are resting deep in this cave when suddenly a shadow appears, across the mouth of the cave. And apparently they can make out whether it's from the garments he's wearing or maybe a crown on his head or a sword by his side that it's King Saul himself. Right? Now Saul doesn't see them because if you've ever been in a place where it's really bright and the sun is shining and then immediately you go into a dark room, you just can't see anything. It's totally dark. Your eyes haven't adjusted And maybe there's a trickle of a stream coming through so he doesn't hear anything. And in fact, he's not looking for people in there anyways. He just wants to relieve himself, right? He wants a few moments alone away from everyone else. And so he crawls up to this cave. He walks in. It's really dark. He turns his back on them really quickly. He takes his royal robe off and he sets it off to the side on the rocks. Maybe he takes his sword off as well. And then he literally squats down and begins to relieve himself. And David and his men are in the back and they can't believe it. In fact, David's men almost start going crazy and look at what they begin to whisper to David. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, we don't know when God had actually said this to David. Maybe David had been saying this to his men all the time there in the wilderness. Don't worry. We've been praying to God. And one of these days, God is going to hand our enemy, King Saul, into our hands. We've just got to persevere. We've just got to hang in there. One day, our time will come. And the men are like, this is the day. Can you believe this? What are the odds? I mean, it just happened to be that Saul walks by the valley where we are and he comes up to the cave where we are and he has to relieve himself and he decides on this you know, time that he's going to leave his soldiers and his guards behind because he just wants some private time by himself and he comes up into the very cave where we're hiding in the back and he can't see us, but we can see him and then he turns his back to us and he's in the most vulnerable position someone could be in. That's not coincidence. This is the opportunity we've been waiting for, David. We have been on the run for years. No more hiding out as a fugitive. No more running from Saul. All you have to do is sneak up, chop his head off. You remember when you did that to Goliath? Just chop his head off, grab his head, walk out, show the soldiers, declare yourself to be king, and everything will be taken care of. And if we were to read the rest of the story and that's exactly how it unfolded, I don't think any of us would question it. It would just be part of the David story. And my sermon today would be like, just hang in there, hold on to God's promises, keep praying to God, and eventually God will answer all of your prayers even in the difficult times, right? 
And David, uh, I mean, we just don't have much time to spend time on this, but if you know much about David, David is not shy about killing people. David is an extremely violent warrior. And when there is an enemy that's going after David, David never hesitates to take out his enemy. By the end of his life, he has so much blood on his hands because he is such a strong and capable warrior who will never be shy about taking out his enemy. And Saul has been his enemy for years now. And so everything in the story, everything about the character of David says he's going to go up and take care of business and it's all going to be over and he'll become king. And yet David does the exact opposite of what we might expect. Here's what it says. Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. David sharply rebuked his men, and he did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So instead of sneaking up and killing Saul, he sneaks up to where his robe is off to the side. And again, maybe there's a stream. Maybe that's why Saul can't hear. We don't know. But he just cuts off a little corner and he sneaks back to his men. And apparently David has to hold his men off. His men are chomping at the bit. They're like, look, if you're not going to do it, one of us will do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. None of us are touching him. And Saul finishes his business. And he gets his robe and he gets his sword And he walks out totally unaware and unharmed. Story continues. Then David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and he prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. So David comes out, he makes it known to his men, to Saul's men, to Saul himself. But if he wanted to, he could have easily killed Saul. But he chose not to. Which raises a huge question for us. Why? Why doesn't David take advantage of the opportunity? Why does David spare Saul's life? And I want to give you three reasons why David makes this choice. And they're really three challenges for all of us. Number one, David believed you don't displace what God has put into place. You see, David realized, he said it right there, God anointed Saul, I didn't. God made Saul king, I didn't. And he continues to show respect for that. He calls Saul his king, he bows down and shows respect to him, and he says, the Lord anointed you. Who am I to displace or even try to replace what God put in place. If God wants to remove you or put me in place, God will do that. But it's not going to be me. David also knew this. Number two, you don't ignore the long term consequences. 
of your decision. You see, in the heat of the moment, the easiest thing to do would have been to go up and kill Saul, right? I mean, there are so many emotions floating around in that cave that day. Think about all the anger. Think about how tired David must have been. Think about the frustration he had been carrying with him for so long. And we know what this is like. Whenever you're in a season of wilderness in your life, you'll pretty much do whatever it takes to get out of the wilderness. And for some of us, that might mean just quitting the job. Quitting the relationship, quitting the marriage, right? Moving somewhere else, figuring out how do I stop living in this wilderness? And in that moment, that usually feels like the best option. And in that moment for David, the best option would have been to go up and kill Saul and be done with all this. But it's almost like David was able to to stop and pause and ask the question, what are going to be the long-term consequences If I go up and kill Saul, let's think about those for a second. Because if you're David, what example do you set for future kings if you took the throne by murdering the former king? Right? Or how about this? If you're David, what kind of example are you setting for your kids? Right? You can think about it years from now. You're sitting with your kids and they're on your knee. Hey, Dad, tell us about when you became king. Well, son, uh, I was in a cave and Saul was doing his business. He was relieving himself and I snuck up and I cut his head off. Wow, Dad, how brave was that? Like, weren't you scared to sneak up on a guy who was going to the bathroom? Is that like, you know, is that the kind of story that David wants to tell? You see, David was able to pause in that moment and look forward and say, what's the kind of story I'm going to tell in light of the decision that I have to make right now? What are the long-term consequences if I take the easy way out? Here's the third thing. Number three, you don't take vengeance into your own hands. Think about how much Saul or David and his men would have hated Saul in that moment. How horrible Saul had made their lives. How much they would have wanted to make Saul pay for everything that he had done to them. You see, the desire for vengeance is probably one of the strongest human emotions and human motivations. But David had a different perspective. This is what he says to Saul just a few minutes later when he continues shouting at him. Oh, I don't have that page in my notes. I'll read it there. Uh, May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May He consider my cause and uphold it. And may He vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. You see, David was able to realize in this moment, I'm going to let God be the judge here. I'm not going to be the judge. I'm going to leave vengeance into God's hands. I'm even going to leave vindication into God's hands. It's almost as if David comes out and he could say, you know what? If I had to bet, I would say I'm in the right and you're in the wrong, but I'm going to trust God on this one. 
If I had to bet, I would say God wants me to be king and you not to be king, but I'm going to let God be the judge on this one. If I had to bet, I would say that God is very displeased with how you've treated me, Saul, and God wants to make you pay. God wants you to suffer the consequences, but I'm not going to be the one that's going to impose those on you. I'm going to trust vengeance and vindication to God. That's what David is able to do in this moment. And it's such a powerful thing because everything in us, whenever we're in a wilderness situation, we want to find someone else to blame and we want to focus on them. And oftentimes we want to make them pay. And in the moment where David is giving the opportunity to make someone else pay, he's able to pause and say, you know what? I'm going to trust God with this. I'm going to leave vengeance in his hands. A thousand years later, the Apostle Paul is going to write, you don't repay evil with evil. You trust vengeance with God. And Jesus is going to say, here's how you deal with your enemies. You figure out how to love them. And you turn the other cheek. A thousand years earlier, it's almost as if David is pausing in that moment to embrace that perspective right there in the most difficult time in his life while he's running from Saul in the wilderness. I think there's two things that we need to learn from David in this story. Two things that are important for each one of us whenever we find ourselves in the wilderness. And it's this. We need to watch for God and we need to wait for God. Watch for God and wait for God. Watch for God means watching for His salvation. Watching for Him to intervene. Not taking matters into our own hands, but trusting in His rescue. Trusting in His deliverance. I want to read you um, a passage that uh, David wrote in one of his psalms. Here's what he says. He says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. You are my strength, and I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. You see, this is the same David who's saying, God, have you abandoned me? God, do you even hear me? He's able to pray both of those things at the same time. He has huge doubts. And at the same time, he keeps saying, but God, I'm going to trust and I'm going to watch for you to be my salvation. So David watches for God, but he also waits for God. Waiting for God means not just trusting in God's salvation, but it means trusting in God's sovereignty. It means God's schedule for my life might be different than my schedule. I'm going to trust that his schedule is better. It means God's vision for my life might be different than my vision for my life, and I'm going to trust that His vision is better. It means God's timing to bring about that vision is different than my timing, and I'm going to trust in His timing. It means that God might be up to something while I'm in the wilderness, and it's bigger than I can see or understand or know, and so I'm going to trust in His perspective more 
and in my perspective. And so we trust in Him by watching for Him, and we trust in Him more often than not when we're in the wilderness by waiting for Him. Waiting a whole lot longer than we're usually comfortable with. David knew this too. Here's one other prayer that he wrote in the Psalms. He said, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. So watch for God and wait for God. And the question I want to ask you today, and we're going to conclude our whole service this way. We're not going to sing any more songs. I just want you to take a few moments to reflect. Where do you need to watch for God? Where do you need to wait for God? And that doesn't mean there aren't times when we need to take action. But for most of us, our default response when we're in the wilderness is to act. Our default response is to do anything we can to get out of the wilderness in the fastest way we can. And so would you be willing to pause today? Maybe there's a difficult situation at work. Maybe there's a sticky situation you found yourself in. Maybe there's a deeply emotional situation like David's where there's people involved and there's emotions involved and there's anger involved and there's resentment involved and there's bitterness involved and there's, there's the desire that someone else would pay for all of this involved. And you're tired. You've been dealing with this for so long. Would you be willing to pause and ask God today, God, in this relationship, in this place that I'm in, i got to be honest, God, I'm floundering. I'm having a hard time. I'm tired. I feel all alone in this. feels like I'm the only one walking through this and no one else cares. And so, God, I need you to give me the strength and the vision to watch for you and to wait for you. Would you take just a couple of moments and maybe close your eyes? And ask the question, God, where do I need to watch for you? God, where do I need to wait for you?
God, as we sit here in silence, it's hard. It feels like we're not doing anything. It feels so unproductive. And that's not what we're used to. We're used to acting, to responding, to fixing to resolving, to moving on. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen better, to wait better, and to watch for you more. Lord, I know that there's people in our community of faith who are struggling with loss, with discouragement, with going through difficult seasons that they were not responsible for. And I pray for your comfort and your peace right now. And God, for those of us who can't really see the way you're moving in our lives, who are having a difficult time discerning what you're up to, help us to persevere. I pray that you would give us comfort as well, that you would be with us in the cave, in the desert, in the wilderness, that we would know that you don't leave us, you don't forsake us, you don't abandon us. You are with us. And this week, I would pray that you would help us to wait for you and to watch for you. And to trust that you're moving even when we can't see it. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.